going to be going through Exodus 12, uh, verse, verses 29 through 36. And we've been discussing the law, the, the, the ritual of the Passover, combined with the Feast of the un- Unleavened Bread. And welcome, come on in. Um, so we've been discussing the, the ritual of the Feast of the Passover and of the Unleavened Bread. And we're going from the instructions about what was going to happen to the fulfillment with what actually does happen in time and space. And so um, let's, let's read through it and see, see what it says. We have enough space? Yeah. Exodus 12, 29 through 36. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. Then he summoned Moses and Aaron by night and said, Up, go out from among my people, both you and the people of Israel, and go, serve the Lord as you have said. Take your flocks and your herds as you have said, and be gone, and bless me also. The Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste, for they said, We shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done as Moses told them, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. What do you do with this? It's a pretty interesting little situation here. We've been going from uh, each plague gets more and more and more and more severe. Finally, we're on this tenth plague. And how does it describe? How does it, how does the scripture describe this plague? It gives three basic descriptions of it. What what are they? I'm going to use the green marker rather than the pink one. What what's the description first? When did it happen? What did we talk about before about midnight in Egyptian mythology, in their theology? What, what was it about that time frame? Ra was asleep. Their god, Amun-Ra, was asleep. So they're unprotected. These other plagues that happened during, you know, presumably daytime, which shows the humiliation of their gods. Now they're completely without any hope of protection because Ra was like a sun god, right? The, the cycle what happened and, and when he would go to sleep as Ra slept every god needs a speedy rest he goes to sleep he's in the underworld completely unprotected that's when Yahweh strikes not that he needed to but how much more terrifying if your mindset is one of we're completely unprotected it says at midnight at midnight he strikes how extensive is this plague 
What's the language you use? Okay. Other than from the throne to where? From the throne to the dungeon. Now we've heard another expression that when God was explaining and preparing the Hebrews for this plague, he used another phrase, another another merism, extreme, from the throne to where? Do you remember? Previously? Um, were like the heads, the chief of the clans. Okay, he, he told the elders, you're right. But he used it, I'm going to strike the Egyptians from the throne to the firstborn son of the, of the king, to the firstborn son of the... Handmaiden at the mill. The mill worker. And we had talked about that being a socioeconomic reference. The richest to the poorest. What do you think is the expression here? From the throne to the dungeon. From the powerful to the... From the the most powerful to the most confined, maybe? From the most luxurious to the most... Not luxurious? I don't know what to... This is a widespread plague. Is anybody exempt from this? Okay. What's the third thing? What effect did this have on the Egyptians? It also took their livestock. Why? Why? Was God anti-Peta? What's the problem here? Why would he take their livestock? What was it about their culture, their theology, that the animals, the firstborn of the animals, also was struck? Okay. There was a relationship between various livestock and their gods. Remember, we talked about one goddess in particular that had cow eyes, the essence of beauty and loveliness. Honey. Iris's eyes or whatever. So you have these animals that are actually the personification of their gods that are struck in this plague as well. Um, So the animals are struck. It's at midnight. Every firstborn is struck from the palace to the prison. And then what happens? What's the result? A great cry. Now, have we heard that phrase before? Didn't the Israelites cry out to Moses at the very beginning? Well, in, in chapter 1, we have this, this reference of uh, that the Hebrews cried out, to, cried out because of their oppression. And the idea is they're crying out to, to God. Not really sure who he was. Moses has come to clarify that for them. Um, but he answers. God answers. And he answers in a big way. Who are they crying out to? They're gods. Any answer? Any hope? Now, we've just gone over the Passover feast and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Would you say that there might have been a recent cry among the Hebrews as well? slaughter of the lambs all at once. And we talked last week about what sound, or a week before last, what sound that would have been like where at, in the evening time, uh, all of the Hebrews slaughtered their sacrificial lambs at once. What a, what a crazy noise that must have been. And yet you have here the contrast. 
Do you see the picture? The, the anguish of anxiety. Why are they crying? What are they saying here, the, the Egyptians? What, are, what is their cry? Number one, they've lost children or family members. Not a house was spared, it says. What else is the contrast being? What, what, what else are they fearing? Well, with little G, yeah. yeah. That's a good point. And they and they actually hinted at, don't they, in what they say? There's uh, you know, there's a lot of things that are hard in this life, but the one thing that gets me through is hope. Hope for the future, you know. Hope in a uh, better life, hope in eternal salvation, hope for the future. This squashes their hope. All their firstborns, that's where they get their inheritance. That's mm-hmm. who they put their hope in for the future generations. And the sacrificing of the livestock to the gods, mm-hmm. their hope is squashed. Their future is now gone in their, in their mindset. Um, what, it ha- what would have happened if the Hebrews had not been obedient to what God had said regarding the Passover lamb. So what saves them? Faith, trust, trust and obedience. Trust that expresses itself in doing what God... They're trusting in the character and nature of God. What he says is true. He's going to do what he said he's going to do. And he'll protect us like he says he's going to. Do, you, do we see that? Both in judgment and in mercy, God is faithful. He, he's he's going to do what he said he's going to do. If they hadn't been obedient, they would be joining the Egyptian wailing here, wouldn't they? Um, think about that. Just imagine for a minute, you're sitting in your little slave hut in Egypt, hearing the wailing of Egyptians, having had the Passover lamb feast. Think of the awestruck reverence in the house. When you hear what's going on outside, knowing God did this, and God didn't do that to us. I mean, can you imagine the the, the solemnity in the, in the in the house? We're able to look into one Egyptian house in particular. What do we see? What do we see? I'm talking about Pharaoh. Pharaoh's house. What? 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 Oh, uh, Pharaoh and everyone in his house is up. Is that normal? I mean, I would think being a, a god man in Egypt would be kind of a lazy existence. <laughs> why are you waking me up? You know, Ra's asleep. Why can't I sleep? Wouldn't you think that that would not be a normal thing to be woken up in the middle of the night? 
kind of humiliating, isn't it? To be awakened. Why is he awakened? Someone had to tell him his son was dead. That's right. He's forced to rise from his bed in the middle of the night. And this final plague is really primarily directed at him as a god in Egypt. And against the royal succession. What did we talk about the firstborn of Pharaoh being? Remember we, we discussed some of that before. Who is who is the son, the firstborn son, the favorite son of Pharaoh? What was he looked at as? I don't know if that's a proper grammatical construction. <clears throat> How was he viewed by the Egyptians? <laughs> like their future, like the son of God. Yeah. All of the hopes of a personified deity on the royal throne rested with the firstborn son of Pharaoh. And that is, it's, it's, it's struck. It's done. He's gone. All right. So what, is, what does Pharaoh do? He's woken up has to deal with this massive blow to the royal line. What does he do? How's his, what's his response? Verse 31. What had he just done to Moses and Aaron? Remember the, the audience that he had with Moses and Aaron? In the darkness? He said, curse. I'll be cursed if I ever see you again. You'll never see my face again. If you see my face again, you'll be dead. Basically, um, of course, he's saying that in the dark, which you know, can't see his face anyway. But I thought he said something about himself. Like, I yeah, you shall die. Yeah, I was sorry. I was, I didn't, it was in the HCSV version. It was kind of. <laughs> I'm gonna kill you, boy. And that's kind of the way that goes. But no. <laughs> What does he do here? He calls them. He had just banished them from his presence. What does he do here? And what does that show about his demeanor, his, his emotional state? I was distraught. What, what, what is it about? First of all, it's humiliating to be able to, I mean, he just banished them. Now he's calling them back for help. <laughs> right? What else does it show? What is he? What are the words that he uses to, to them? He didn't wait for warning. No, he didn't. He did, he did it right then. What does that tell you? He's in haste. He, he's in haste. That's right. This is an urgent thing. And the language he says is up, go out, go, sir. I mean, these are get. This is get out. What had God told Moses and Aaron about how this last plague was going to affect their their relationship? What did he say? You'll be driven out. You'll be driven out. And he said completely, right? Because Pharaoh's been playing games all this time. You can take the flocks, you can't take the flocks. You can take the kids, you cannot take the kids. And now and now this is get out. He does something very interesting though, too. For the first time, he calls the Hebrews the people of Israel. What's significant about that? Okay, yeah, they're not his property. The people of Israel, uh, some translations have it Israelites. They don't have a national identity. They have a national identity. They're a people. They were not a people, but now they are a people. Um, and he recognizes that. 
He acknowledges their status as a people. They're not a nation yet. They've still got some hiking across the desert to get there. But, but they're on their way. And then he says this. Who are they to serve? From Pharaoh's mouth, who are they to serve? What, what word does he use? Does he use Elohim there? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital Yahweh. He uses the covenant name of God. Go serve your covenant God. It's kind of a big deal, isn't it? He recognizes, he, he, he accedes to the demands of Yahweh. Any limitations here? Go out for about three days, come back. Leave, leave, the, leave the sheep and take the goats. None of that. It's get out. He drives them out completely. And then he said, he's, he's defeated, right? He, he knows it. But then he says something, I think, I don't get this. I don't know what he's looking for here. This ultimate humiliation. And bless me also. Of your not, not being in my country? <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe they didn't know whether, I mean, obviously they didn't know that it was going to stop at the first place. They didn't know that being the wars wasn't going to come back and systematically wipe out the Egyptians. Right. And, and that's the fear that they have. You see this later in the passage, right, with the, with the people He's saying... looking for protection. Right? Yeah. Hey, put a special blessing on me because maybe that will come for something. Well, and I'm wondering too if he's thinking these people are going to rise up after the Hebrews leave and kill me for this. I wonder if he's fearful of a, of a rebellion on his own. Well, he did it at night. Because by the morning when all the people came out, he wanted to say, I'm handling this. Yeah. They're on we, the way out. They've already got the press release ready to go. <laughs> Throughout the land, your government well is taking charge. Who, you know, don't do well. Well, yeah. it, does, it does tend to end badly for them. This and bless me also. Is this a is this an honorable request? Have we seen repentance here by Pharaoh? No. How do we know that? Well, we know later because he chases after him. He chases after him later. <laughs> it's the same thing. Once the immediacy of the plague is over, he goes right back to, wait a minute, I'm Pharaoh. I'm in charge here. I'm going to get what I want. It was a temporary Right. It's a temporary setback. But 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 we'll get back on top again. You know. Hasn't he said that before? Yes. Yeah. 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 Something similar to that. I can't. I, I have to go back. But he did say some kind of a, 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 a ask for a blessing again. But this this is a very urgent request. Speaking of urgent requests, <clears throat> how are the how are the how are the people doing? The Egyptians with the, with the Hebrews. They kind of. They fully back their leaders. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> they took a they took a poll among the Egyptians, and the, and, the, and he's had like a ninety percent approval rating. <laughs> uh, what do they what do they say? What is the language used about the Egyptians themselves? They're urgent. They urgently did what? They were urgent with the people to send them out. Of the land in haste. That language were urgent. Literally, the Egyptians pressed or made strong upon the people, 
The interesting thing about that, the smart folks tell me when I read their books, they say this, that verb that's used here is the same verb that is used when it says, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. As hard-hearted as the Egyptian population and Pharaoh were against having the Hebrews leave because they liked their slave labor, they're just as determined and hardened to get them out now. Well, think that, about that normally, back in that society, when one nation conquered another, they killed all, all the men. <clears throat> How can you fight an enemy you can't see? So they didn't take up stones to drive them out. Right. They urged them out. Yeah. We would strongly suggest that you... Why are they? Why are they this urgent? Isn't that the logical next step? I mean, if you do a quick calculation, blood in the Nile, you know, and the various insect plagues, then the hail, then the death of the firstborn, then the boils—good grief! I would let them go with the boils, but that's just me. Um, then you have all the, the darkness and all this, the firstborn. Well, what's left? All of us are going to die. That seems reasonable. I would think that you'd want to take some urgent action on that if all of us are going to die. That's the next step. I just thought about something. Um, through these templates, you see um, kind of the exact opposite of Christ coming closer and closer to Christians. Like through history, Christ has come down closer and closer. Now he dwells in us. Mm-hmm. Well, this is like the exact opposite. Like his wrath is coming closer and closer. It's like mm-hmm. right on the verge of, I mean, you're next. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it seems like, too, that he's, that Pharaoh understands who the genuine authority is. He says, as you have said. Since, imagine Pharaoh, too. He would have been the, the supreme authority. Right. Whatever he says goes, whatever he wants happens. Mm-hmm. And all these things. He says, as you have said. So that probably was words that never come out of his mouth before, too. Right. He's succumbing to some other person's wishes against his own. Yeah. So. Yeah, good. Good. He's, a, he's humiliated here. And he is completely... Um, uh, subdued. <laughs> yes. I was just I was thinking about um, even though he he believes him now. Oh yeah, it actually did happen. What you said. Mm-hmm. He was sleeping up until this point. I mean, if you've seen nine other plagues and they've all come true exactly the way Moses said, I'd be shaking in my boots. Mm-hmm. I mean, look at us. None of us really believed that Y two K was going to happen or right. you know, all this stuff. But we still stayed up till midnight. We were still <clears> thinking about it. We were still. Preparing, come on, Kevin. No, my Commodore 64 was absolutely fine. What <laughs> is is that up until this point, Pharaoh was sleeping. He had to be. He rose up. He was mm-hmm. asleep, and then he rose up. So and how could you do that if 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 what we discussed oh, when the, the the audience during the darkness plague happened? If God is giving Moses revelation on the fly there, and there is this possibly, and I don't, I mean, we don't know from the text, but possibly an audible instruction where they could all hear in the dark, which is just an awesome thing to think about. One more, one more time I'm going to strike the Egyptian, and then he's going to drive you out completely. I'm going to strike all their first. When they're hearing this, or at least Moses is telling them this, right there in the dark, and he's sleeping? Exactly. Did, did Pharaoh get warning about this last The indication is, yeah, he did. Okay. I mean, that... There's, there's a, in that audience time during the darkness, there's an indication that he, that Moses said to Pharaoh, one more plague. Um, 
So, why would he... If he knew, then the death of his people and his first son is all on him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There, there are probably several things going through his head right now. Um, how is Syria this time of year? You know? Um, <laughs> I wonder how fast these horses really go. <laughs> He's not in charge. And that's probably a new experience for him. I think that's right. So verses 34 through 36, what, what happens here? What do we see? The people took their dough before it was leavened, their kneading bowls being bound up in their cloaks. Isn't that what God told them that they'd be celebrating later on? They're leaving right then. They don't have time to, to let the dough rise. They have no time to make preparations. All they have is this dough and these bowls that they're wrapping up in their cloaks and throwing over the shoulders. They've got nothing. They leave with nothing but the freedom to journey out. Where does this place them? What, what position are they in for going through the desert wilderness? I say desert. The wilderness. Dependent on God. Completely. What's the picture there? When you were called out of darkness into light, driven, where were you? God, I've got a basket of quail. I've got my good works. I've got stuff that I've done. I'll bring this to the table. What's the picture? You have nothing but unleavened bread when you're coming out of darkness in the light. What do we talk about leaven being kind of a metaphor of later on in Scripture? Do you remember? Sin. So when you're coming out of your slavery to sin, what do you have? A lot of unleavened bread. Um, and the, and, the, and the, it's, things are happening quick here. They're, they're moving fast. What do you do if you want love and bread? What do you got to do? As I learned last Friday, you have to let it rise a little bit. Otherwise, you get a rock. Tammy said, you know, Kevin, your bread, it reminds me of two pictures of Christ. One is the bread and one is the stone. <laughs> it's great to have encouragement. It's a wonderful thing. So this thing is happening with the roots are doing this marriage thing. How <laughs> to encourage your husband with bread making. Um, so you got to sit around and let it rise. That slows you down, doesn't it? They're not to sit around and wait for the bread. They're to follow God immediately, trusting in Him to provide. What picture is that for us? Sin is a weight. Sin delays. Sin slows us down as we press hard toward Christ. Don't wait for the leaven. My bread was perfect. Yes, go ahead. Now they're exiles. They're kicked out. I mean, they're kicked out of the world. They don't have a home. They're, they're just... Walking, following the Lord. Um, they, 
they know, no one would ever talk about you're going to go to Canaan. They, they were just the one to go out and worship. I think, I think the, I think the initial thing was go to the desert and worship. Yeah, so like they don't, they don't even know what they're, they don't even know their future really. They're just getting out of there. We're not told, we're not told that. He, I mean, God promised Abraham land. Right. They would have known that. They, if it was part of their, part of their, their culture to, to understand the promise. But I don't know that Moses, yeah, I think it may have been far back in their heads. That, yes, they're probably familiar with the prophecies of Abraham, but I don't know that Moses specifically said, hey, we're going to leave and then we're going to go. I don't recall that. Um, I could be wrong, but uh, it doesn't, nothing rings a bell right now. So, yeah, I mean, the immediate thing is get out of slavery. Get out of the, get from under the whip. And that's what, then that's what God is doing. They're moving fast. They're, 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 they're having to completely trust on this God who, you know, that, 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 they, that they're learning, they're getting to know, that they're, they're, they're finding a, a reason to trust by his faithfulness through these ten plagues. And yet he provides for them. But it's funny that articles that they got, the silver and gold, were useless to them in the wilderness. Pretty much. Maybe. I mean... Maybe even worse than useless. Yeah, because it had to carry it. Make a cap out of it. But the things that people trust in, their money, it was useless. Right. To trade. And yeah, that's going to... Yeah, if they're, if they're able to trade with other... other No, it's it's conquering them and taking their stuff. Okay. <laughs> it's not stealing. That's a that's a war time. It's a it's well stealing. It's it's maybe. Um, it was socially. It wasn't done with deceit. I'm oh, sorry. It wasn't done with deceit. No, they weren't deceitful at all. God, they asked for it. It's an unusual way of conquering the people. I would grant you. Well, it, it's it's they they basically conquered them out of. Um, I mean the the. Hebrews didn't do any specific, anything specifically to the Egyptians. It was God was doing everything. So the right. Hebrews were just kind of like sitting back, right. you know, trusting in God. And through that, through their faithfulness in God and just their, I guess, mercy or grace to the Egyptians by not just going in and killing them. And, and then they, they take their stuff. Them, killed them with kindness in a way. Killed them with kindness. Killed them with fear. And, and, and we're going to all die next. I mean, this is God's power doing this. The thing is, the Hebrews didn't even draw a sword. And God's giving them the plunder. It's a sign of conquering a nation when you take the, their, their stuff. Isn't that already prophesied? Mm-hmm. In Genesis 15, um, Abraham uh, was told that the people would be enslaved for about 400 years. And then uh, they would leave with great riches from that nation. So they're, they're paid some wages here for their hard work. Sort of. Well, but once you think about it, they actually really didn't need it, and what they thought they needed actually became one of their downfalls. Well, yes and no. I mean, God told them to to get this from the Egyptians. It's a sign of it's a sign of conquering right. the people more than anything. I think there probably is some trading that can go on, and we're talking practicality. There would be some trading that would go on, but it's just a sign of conquering. And then later they take a good thing and twist it. Sure. Yes. Yeah. Well. It hadn't happened yet. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. 
prophecy here, Genesis 15, and then what Moses had told them would happen. Prophecy becomes historical fact. Think about that. Um, it's important to, to recognize this. Christianity makes some really incredible historical claims. This is one of them. And these are things that are claimed to happen in time and space. The people really plundered the Egyptians without raising a sword. That, that's what the text says. That's what it claims. The Exodus is not an idea. It's not a belief uh, that has the benefit of, of just being celebrated. This is historical fact that is celebrated. The resurrection is not an idea or a belief in the Christ consciousness in all of us. It, it's, a, it's a fact. It really happened. Christ has come. Christ has died. Christ has risen. It's grounded. Christianity is grounded in the historical person and work of Jesus Christ. That's the essence of what we believe. That's the essence of Christianity, is that what the Bible records actually occurred in history. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, if this historical fact is not true, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. And he'll go on to say you're still dead in your sins. The whole hinge of Christianity rests upon factual, historical events that, that, that we believe, that we trust, that we know to be true. Do we get that? The, ha- the, the factual, the historical event that it hinges upon, the whole thing, is that in exchange for the rebellion and sin of those who are dying like the Egyptians. God provided his Passover lamb, his firstborn son. What an incredible thing. I mean, we've seen this idea of the favored son having the hope and the, and the, and the promise of the, of the culture. And instead of requiring that of us, and ultimately we're all dying. I mean, they literally said in, in Egypt, we're all dying. And they're right. God provides his firstborn son. Firstborn in preeminence, obviously. Um, but his, his, his son is given. And this son was struck and killed in the most humiliating way. Uh, there's an article I have that I, I linked to a long time ago on the, the physical effects of a crucifixion. Good grief. It's humiliating, painful, excruciating. Well, excruciate. The core of that word is crucify. Um, it's an excruciating pain, um, but it's humiliating. 
and rather than his people bearing the weight of a cry. It talks about in Revelation how the people cried out, mountains fall on us, God's coming. Rather than his people crying like the Egyptians did, the Son of God cried from the cross. He cried, the one who ever pleads for us. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He cried the cry of a victor. Today you will be with me in paradise. He cried the cry of compassion. Behold your son. Behold your mother, he said to the Apostle John. He cried the cry of one who has tasted despair. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He cried the cry of a man in need. I thirst. Because he was thirsty in time and space. Do we, do we understand that? Do we get that? He cried the cry of obedience. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And this is my favorite cry. This is the one I cling to. It is finished. Time and space, it is finished. This is not just an idea or a nice thought, but it happened for real. He, he finished it. It's done. And we celebrate that historical event when we take the bread and the cup, don't we? I remember he passed over me and he struck him. Do you remember that? As We're doing this next Sunday, by the way, so it might be good to prepare. He passed over me and struck him. I am driven out from slavery to sin, and I bring nothing in but my obedience to what he has commanded to do. He provides the faith to trust him. He provides the repentance for forgiveness when I don't trust him. He provides... The, the gifts, when he ascended, he gave gifts to men in, in order to serve the body that he's building and gathering to himself. And we must eat the unleavened bread of the word daily because we're moving fast. I blinked yesterday and my daughter turned 12. I, it's crazy. What happened? Life goes quickly. We're moving fast. It's short. Redeem the time. Because waiting on leaven to rise slows you down. Don't get caught up with the incidental sins that are so easily besetting us, Paul would say. It slows us down. Turn to 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12, and and we'll, we'll close out with this. First Peter is one of those strange books. It's small. It's after James, just in case you're... It's page 1323 in my Bible. First Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Why? What's the point of it? that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. It's finished. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. It's finished. How do we respond? Beloved. What a great word. Beloved. I urge you as sojourners and exiles, not as Americans, not as Venezuelans, not as, we're, we're sojourners. I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which not only just slow you down, they wage war against your soul. Keep conduct, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. When? Time and space. The historical event that's coming on the day of his visitation. Are we ready? Are we getting ready? Redeem the time, because waiting on the leaven slows you down. All right, any, any other comments, any other questions? It seems like as a culture, we kind of act like we're not going to die. And then, like, for example, last night, Kid Credit Bill, people were like, oh my gosh, somebody died, you know, he's taking too soon. It's like, I mean, everybody's going to die. You know, right. There's a one-to-one ratio to that, by the way. Yeah. yeah. And it's like you're surprised when somebody dies. Well, yeah, same's going to happen to you. So we shuffle that in the in the nursing homes, don't we? Just out of view, so to think about it. Um. We 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 have a mindset in our culture to 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 allow people to to opt out quickly, so we just get get the idea of slow death out of the way. We don't want to be confronted with with the results of sin yeah, and like death. Years is, is years is yeah, it's a drop in eternity. Yeah. And yet we we don't grieve over death like the Egyptians do. We have hope in Christ. Any other comments, any other questions? Yes? Couldn't help but think um, about the riches that they got when they left. They, they were not a people. They didn't exist as a people. They were slaves. They had absolutely nothing. And then they overnight went from a nobody, sojourners, nothing, to a people with tons of riches mm-hmm. and a bright future and an existence. And not only just riches, but riches from the richest land in the, in the known world. They plundered them. And, you know, obviously that comparison is what we had in Christ. Right. We go from nobody, we go from dead in our trespasses and sins mm. to riches beyond compare with Christ. Between facing God alone and judgment, with that inevitable cry, depart from me, I never knew you, to facing God with Christ among his people, um, enter into the joy of your Lord. There, there's a difference there. Two types of cries that we see in Scripture. There's only two. 
there's no indifference, there's no apathy, there's no gray area in, in the Bible. It's black and white, it's, it's, it's life and death, it's darkness, light. You see no in-between. It calls for a single-mindedness in our devotion to Him, and our devotion to, to the people of, of God, to each other. All right. Um, let's let's pray because it's ten oh five. God, we don't we don't think about the um, the depth of your power, the depth of your mercy, often enough. We're not awed by it often enough. Or we just sit in quiet reverence over who you are and what you've done. Teach us, Father, to worship you with the backdrop of your great mercy in your Son informing everything that we do and informing our, our times of, of prayer before you, informing our, our time at work or at school that we constantly have in our view the grace of Christ, not only as relief that we, that the Spirit bears with our spirit that we're sons of God because of what he's done, but also with the mindset that we've that we're marked as a family, and that families have characteristics, and it's your character in us that we need to reflect and show and be good ambassadors for what we've been given in Christ. Let it start among us, Father. Let it start where we, uh, that, that, that the world knows that we are your disciples because of our love for one another. Teach us to practice that, to live that with people that we know really well and who punch our buttons. And yet we come together at the foot of the cross thankful, humbled, reverent, and repentant often. Grandfather, that that as Philip uh, preaches this morning, that your spirit would do what only you can do in our hearts. Grow us in grace. Grow us in mercy toward each other. Grow us in um, loving kindness and patience and all the, the, the attributes of the fruit that we should have in our lives because of what you've done for us, because it is finished. Give us a confidence and a boldness to go to you in prayer often, not brazenly demanding as if you were some kind of vending machine but boldly knowing that we come to you not in our own righteousness, not in our own works, but in the foreign, the alien righteousness of Jesus and, and the works done on our behalf during his life. Keep us from idols, Father. In Christ's name. Wow. Any suggestions?